We have an expecting mother's song. An expecting mother's song. And what we see in the scripture is God takes the initiative to redeem man and to draw him to himself. As you read these early chapters of the Gospels and the the birth of Jesus passages, you have the, the critics that speak out saying that the virgin birth was taken from the myths or from the pharaohs or from the Greek legends and Christians are trying to just come up with their own versions. Uh, that uh, The truth is though that the myths and the legends and uh, the story of Jesus don't even come close to each other. Leon Morris wrote a great commentary on the chapter. I'll quote from him a few times today, but he says the virgin birth is a distinct Christian doctrine. There's no Jewish parallels, but attention is sometimes drawn to birth stories among Greek legends. The suggestion is made that Christian apologists produce the story in a spirit of anything they can do, we can do better, but none of the parallels adduced are really relevant. They usually tell of a divine person having intercourse with a human, usually a God with a woman. A truly virgin birth, though, is unique. And Marshall emphasizes the Jewish character of the narrative, unlikely derived from any pagan sources. And, of course, we know from the prophet Isaiah that it was prophesied of uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, Jesus, that uh, the Savior that would come would be born of a virgin, that a virgin would be uh, with child. And just interesting, too, to just see the pagans just trying to come up with something special uh, of their gods to give them something worthy of adoration. When we were in Nepal this year, we had many long hours in a jeep uh, with our Nepali friends, and we were just learning more about Buddhism and Hinduism. And Anand, the pastor uh, in Kathmandu at a Calvary Chapel there and leader of the Bible College, he was telling us that he was raised Hindu, and before school every day, he'd have to go to the local temple and uh, make an offering to whichever Hindu god him and his family had decided to worship. And then after school in the evening, he'd have to go and put another uh, pinch of incense on the altar to the god that they decided to worship out of the millions of gods that the Hindus have. And uh, sometimes before school, he would forget to make his offering. And the whole rest of the day, he just knew a lightning bolt was going to get him. And and uh, and just an incredible story, though, of the Lord saving him out of that. But we were uh, studying Hinduism, reading my old notes on Hinduism in this Jeep ride. And we came across this picture of kind of a, I don't know if you've ever uh, taken the mirrors in your old home in the bathroom and folded them in on themselves. And you see... Uh, pictures of yourself going on forever into all of eternity, you know, and you're looking around. Well, there's a picture of Hindu gods, and it's very similar to that. Like, they just go on and on and on forever. Some of the Hindu gods, you've probably seen the pictures, you know, have the head of an elephant with a turban on or the face of a tiger or something like that. And he says, uh, Anand says, do you want to hear the story of the Hindu god with the face of an elephant? And I was like, yeah, sure. <sighs> just letting you know now, you're not going to be that impressed. Um, and he says, yeah, so uh, the wife of this God was, uh, or so this God came from a God and the mother of this God um, uh, went into the bathroom one day and wanted to take a bath. And she told her little Godson, um, hey, block the entrance to the bathroom. I want some privacy and uh, I'm going to take a bath and it's quiet time and just give me some quiet time in the bathroom. And and so the son said, on my honor, you know, and, uh, and here comes dad home from doing his deity duties and, uh, has to take a duty, if you will, and, um, <laughs> has to use the, the bathroom. But this good little God prince is standing in the door saying, no, mom said that, uh, she needs some privacy and some aromatherapy and some quiet time, you know, and you can't come in. And the dad said, I've got to go to the bathroom. You're going to let me in the bathroom, squatty potty, if you will, it's how it is. And, you know, let me in there uh, right now. No, I told mom I wouldn't. And it just goes back and forth for quite a while until finally the father does what every good godfather would do and takes a sword out and chops his son's head off. Okay. 
And I'm just thinking like, wow, what an incredible God that has to go to the bathroom so bad. You can't just make another place to go to the bathroom. I don't know. You know, it seems pretty easy, right? Um, and, uh, and then the, the wife comes out of the bath and, hey, where's little Timmy, you know, or whatever. And, ah, I got a little, it was my bad, my bad. I really, you know, and, uh, well, you got to fix this, you know. And so he goes into the jungle and finds an elephant and chops off the elephant's head and puts it on his son. And that is how, uh, this particular God has the head of an elephant. So let's just, just that is slow clap for that. Just, you know. And there's more like it, you know, and we're just like processing like, man, this is like, you know, man, we will settle for anything besides bowing the knee to Jesus Christ, won't we? You know, uh, and so you hear that from Leon Morris about, you know, all the different pagan and all of their stories, but nothing comes uh, quite in splendor uh, to the story of the virgin birth or technically as one commentator, Pate put it, um, technically the, the birth was a normal birth, right? It was the virgin conception, uh, that is the, the main thing here. And so what I want to do today, I want to look at just the quick announcement of, uh, Jesus's birth, um, that immaculate conception and Mary, and then uh, a little bit of, uh, girl time between, uh, cousin Elizabeth and Mary and processing the pregnancy and then, um, an unexpected or an expecting mother's song rejoicing in what the Lord is doing, uh, there by the, the middle of the, towards the end of the chapter. So, uh, let's just look in verse 26, uh, it was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, you can read the beginning of the chapter here about, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, how Elizabeth was barren and, and the Lord, um, gave her, uh, baby who we would know to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, who would prepare the way and get out of the way. Uh, but uh, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Uh, the virgin's name was Mary. Uh, Mary. And so, um, you know, we kind of have this pendulum swing among Christianity and the early church and into Catholicism where Mary has been elevated to a place in Roman Catholicism, uh, to what the Pope would say, the co-redemptress of Jesus. Okay. And so, you know, just like we will worship anything but Jesus, sometimes we add things to worship with Jesus. And one things that um, one thing that we find within Catholicism are just the the worship and the adoration of the saints. Uh, even Mary would be one of those. Uh, so much so that um, when the Pope would say that she's a savior on the same line as Jesus, that's just a problem. Okay, and we can all create our own little problems as we get studying the Bible. We always want to come back to the Word, right? What does the Word have to say? concerning matters of faith and practice and doctrine. Uh, but we have Mary and, and, you know, the Catholicism had elevated her so high, uh, but kind of our knee-jerk reaction to that is to forget Mary, you know, when there's really some wonderful uh, things about Mary, including just this sweet moment of her finding out that she would be uh, the mother of the Lord. Elizabeth is going to call her the mother of the Lord, um, perhaps we take it too far when we say she's the mother of God, you know, um, because right, he has no beginning, but, uh, she, she is the mother of the Lord. Of course, Jesus is God. And so you can make the connections as you want there. But, um, Mary, uh, her name comes from Hebrew origins and means drop of the sea, but it has roots in that Hebrew word Mara, meaning bitterness, uh, can also mean beloved. Uh, it's in just the same name category as Miriam. And, uh, so we have just this virgin's name was Mary and having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So there's just this blessing, this encouragement, an angel appears. He says, be glad there's just favor that has been bestowed on you. There's blessing upon you. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible says, uh, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. The original manuscript doesn't have this uh, 
this famous phrase of blessed are you among women. Uh, but there is this great greeting from the angel that's just like, hey, usually there's this, don't be afraid, because I know I would be um, if an angel showed up just out of nowhere. In fact, when I was in eighth grade, um, I had had, you guys kind of know my story from the spring in the muster, and I shared about growing up with some just spiritual stuff happening in my bedroom and my bed moving and things like that. It's just, just a little light lunch conversation for you guys to talk about later. But, um, but with that, I also was a, kind of coming out of that. I was afraid as I read the Bible as a middle schooler that God was just going to like, just have an angel surprise me someday, you know, uh, when I'm in my bedroom, I'm going to open my eyes and at the foot of the bed's going to be an angel. And so I was afraid, don't judge you guys with your judgy faces out there. You know, I was afraid that was going to happen. And I uh, would share it with my older sister, who then took it upon herself to share it with my youth pastor, who then had an intervention for me in my backyard one day when I'm like, all of a sudden, like 10 kids from the youth group show up while I'm at home to pray for me because I was scared an angel was going to show up in my bedroom. Okay, so not bitter about it, just disappointed. All right. Um, but they did. They prayed for me and it was then that I got over just being scared all the time. But. Uh, it, but so there is this, you know, he appears, he says, Hey, you know, there's not the, don't be afraid so much as there's the be glad, but she is going to be troubled, right? Look in verse 29. She saw him. She was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So she was confused and perplexed, but it wasn't because this shiny figure was in her, you know, room or house or courtyard or whatever it might've been. Um, it says that it was at the saying, what kind of greeting is this? You know, is it on par with, you know, that salesman, you know, that you come across, you know, either door to door or in the, in the mall or whatever that tells you, this is your lucky day. And just right away, you're like, is it my lucky day? I'm wondering, you know, what kind of a gimmick might this be? You know, Hey, you're coming on a little strong angel, you know, I'm perplexed at what this saying might be. So he says to her, now don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Second time that he said, just in the couple sentences he said already, that she's a favored one, highly favored, found favor with God, grace, the grace of God is just poured out upon Mary. It just reminds me of the phrase concerning Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mary found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Leon Morris saying, it is of course a complete misunderstanding to translate hail Mary full of grace and understand the words to mean that Mary would be a source of grace to other people. Gabriel is saying simply that God's favor rests upon her. Just God's grace, undeserved favor, God's poured it out upon Mary. And the angel goes on to say, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So just write to the news that uh, she will have this conception. Uh, it'll be a son the name is given. She won't have to go through the rigmarole of going to babynames.com and figuring out what kind of a name. And trust me, you guys, that is a long drawn out process. If you've ever tried to figure out names for your kids, you know, um, yeah, you're going through every letter of the alphabet. They just make it easy. The angel makes it easy. Call his name Jesus, which you guys know in Hebrew, that name Jesus is what? Joshua, right? Or Yeshua which means the Lord is salvation. So you shall call his name, the Lord is salvation. And when Joseph has the angel appear to him in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, um, Jesus's stepdad, Joseph has the angel say, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why would you call his name Jesus? Why would you call his name the Lord is salvation? And the angel just breaks it down. Sometimes the men need the interpretation. For he shall save his people from their sin. So there's salvation. There's a Messiah. 
that's coming. There is a hero that's coming to save people and to save them, save the Jewish people from their sin. In verse 32 of Luke 1, he will be great. That word in the Greek there is mega. He will be mega. What he does will be loud is what it literally means. And he will be called son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So he is going to just be so great. What he does is going to be loud and awesome. He's going to be called the son of the highest or the son of God. He's not becoming that. He already is God. In Matthew's Gospels, uh, we see uh, during the the baptism, you guys know the story when Jesus was baptized, the spirit came down from heaven like a dove and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he shall be called the son of the highest and the highest would call him his son. And in Matthew 17, five, it's again at the uh, transfiguration while he's speaking, a bright cloud overshadows them. Suddenly a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. So he's the son of the highest. And then, so uh, we even have in Mark 5 that the demons understood this, that the demons uh, would cry out with a loud voice, Mark 5, 7. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So even the the demons understood Jesus to be the son of the most high. You might already be noticing that as we see the story of Mary, that Mary isn't the, the star of the story, right? It goes, Jesus, Jesus is the star. Jesus is the hero of it. And uh, and he is the, the champion. He's the one who's um, great. He's the one who is son of the highest. He's the one that is given the throne of his father, David. And this is a big deal. We know that it was prophesied that the Messiah and the hero of Israel would come through King David's line. He would get that throne and he would keep that throne forever and ever. There's some eschatological hope in that because if we're sitting here right now, we're looking at Israel and we don't see Jesus on the throne of Israel right now, do we? It doesn't seem that Jesus is sitting on the throne of David. The wonderful thing about the scripture is we see the hope of how it will all unfold, that he will come in, in the first coming. He came not to sit on the throne, but to make it possible for people to be gathered around him on his throne by dying for their sin. But he will come back again one day and he will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem for a millennia, for a thousand years. Uh, and then he will um, uh, continue that rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, so you can look at Second Samuel 7 and see just the promise of to David that he will have a, a seed or an heir on his throne. Uh, forever. And uh, even the psalmist said in Psalm 132, 11, the Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne a fruit of your body. So here in Luke chapter one, we have just the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise to David that on his throne uh, will sit the fruit of his body. We also see that this one who would come from Mary in verse 33 will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So David's throne reigning over the house of Jacob. How long will this rule and reign last forever? There will be no end. As the psalmist says and the author of Hebrews echoes in Hebrews 1.8, to the son, the father says, your throne, O God. And now this is really interesting. This is great uh, Christology, understanding Jesus's deity, that the psalmist, David spoke it out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, has the father saying to the son, your throne. And then the father calls the son what? O God. Because the father is God. The son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. You guys are getting a whole hodgepodge of doctrine uh, today, right? Um, but 
God the Father calls God the Son. God, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is that scepter of your kingdom. So angel Gabriel just comes on the scene. Rejoice, be of good cheer. You are a favored woman. There's so much grace. Um, you know, every mother, right? Happy Mother's Day. So much grace poured out upon you, mothers. But there is something special, and we've knee-jerk reacted away from it. But to be Mary, the mother of the Lord, has just got some extra grace that God has shown to her. What a gift that uh, that she would give birth to such uh, the Redeemer of Israel, of the whole world, and uh, an, an eternal king will come from her womb. And here is her response, verse 34. And Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's puzzled. Where Zechariah, at the beginning of Luke 1, is uh, has disbelief, uh, she's more puzzled. Literally just says, I'm a virgin. Uh, how am I going to have this baby the angel answers and said to her, here's the process. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Uh, in Islam, the Muslims have a great veneration of Mary. There's a book of the Quran named after her. There's a great ministry called Jesus in the Quran with Jamie Winship where they uh, are evangelizing and ministering to the Muslims uh, through the Quran, using the Quran as a tool to share Jesus. And uh, and yet, in their veneration of Mary, their whole understanding of the Immaculate Conception is quite gross uh, and is nothing how Luke puts it. Uh, Morris said, this delicate expression rules out crude ideas of mating, the mating of the Holy Spirit with Mary. Gabriel makes it clear that the conception will be a result of divine activity. And uh, and when Gabriel speaks to Joseph concerning how his fiance is impregnated, uh, the angel says, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so it's just very purely spoken of in verse 35. The Holy Spout, uh, Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the highest overshadows you. Same language that's spoken of the Shekinah glory of God filling the temple with glory. Uh, just, the, just a work of glory happening there. Uh, with Mary at the conception. Verse 36, Now indeed Elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. So Mary's puzzled. How could this be? I'm a virgin. And Gabriel just says, Hey, think about it for a second, how your... Um, relative, your cousin, Elizabeth, her and her husband were old. And of course we know this is a pattern in scripture, even Abraham and Sarai, right? Abram and Sarai. Uh, and, and now she's on month six of the pregnancy. And just remember Mary that with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, just as with in Genesis eighteen, fourteen. And the promise of Abram and Sarah having a son is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time. I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah will have a son. So even in that barrenness, uh, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm going to come back in a year. You're going to be holding that baby of the promise, Sarah. Uh, and this is just great phraseology is anything too hard for the Lord is anything too hard to the Lord? Think of that. This Mother's Day, it's in the context of parenting. It's in the context of being a mom. It's in the context of conceiving. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Or with God, is anything possible? With God, nothing 
will be impossible. Jeremiah puts it so great. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Like, think of the universe. Think of just how wonderfully it's made. And he made it by power, by an outstretched arm. And Jeremiah just says it. There is nothing too hard for you. And my prayer this morning uh, and through this week, I just pray for anybody in our church, any women in our church or couples in our church that are having trouble having children, but still feel like the Lord has that for you. And you're just in a place of just um, confusion, frustration, despair, hoping and waiting and wondering and um, and it's just hard. Uh, I just have known enough women in these circumstances that it's just so difficult and hard. And you, you know, you just feel judged. You feel that you're missing out, uh, that there's something that's holding back God's favor from you. And it's just my prayer for you today, uh, that if the Lord has still put that in your heart, I just, my prayer for you today is that the Lord would do it. Uh, that the Lord would do it. And we were in Nepal one year and uh, we were up with uh, a guy who had been a witch doctor and um, one of the first Christians in the district had shared the gospel with this witch doctor and he got saved and couldn't read the Bible. Uh, they didn't even have a Bible and him and this old man fasted for a Bible and to learn how to read. They were given a Bible and he knew how to read it and they just went out preaching the gospel and casting demons out of this district of Nepal and when he heard of somebody in our trip that had, uh, that was in a barren family, he just looked at him and he said, there's nothing too hard for God, you know? And I just think that's such a good word for you today. If that is you, there's nothing too hard for God. And if the Lord still has that in your heart, we can be praying for just a wonderful conception. And, uh, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. As you read, uh, Romans account of what was happening with, um, Abraham 419 said Abraham was not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah womb. So just kind of this rough language being used of like, you're already dead and your womb's already dead. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform it. Is there anything too hard for the Lord that what he's promised, he's not able to perform? And therefore, his belief in that was accounted to him for righteousness. So Angel Gabriel preaching just the good news that uh, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. In verse 38, then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, this handmaid in Dule in uh, the Greek means slave girl. She just, what is she doing right here? But just saying, behold, I am the Lord's servant. Behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I, I, it's a female version of doulos. I'm the slave girl. And it just represents complete obedience to the promise of God here. She hears Gabriel say, hey, your cousin, old gal, six months pregnant. Remember that. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And Mary's response is, behold your servant, right? Uh, I'm here to serve. What do you have for me? Let it be according to your word. And um, one preacher said, we are apt to take this as the most natural thing. And accordingly, we miss Mary's quiet heroism. Like this is a really exciting moment because it's right here that she just expresses faith and trust in the Lord. And it's through this moment of faith and trust in the Lord that all mankind will be saved, right? She's going to let the Lord use her as a vessel to bring the savior into the world. Uh, at this moment, Mary believes the thing the angel has to say to her. Then 39, we have Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary lost no time in paying a visit to her kinswoman. 
And uh, many of you, this is like a common thing, right? The minute you find out you're pregnant, you go and you tell your, your BFF, you go and you tell your gal friends, right? You go and you just like, you wouldn't believe this, <laughs> you know, and bouncing and jumping and shouting and talking and planning and sharing stories and what all of these great things, um, uh, as you look at it, it seems like there's just this immediate angel departs. She packs a bag and she heads to the hill country of Judea, uh, to go and to meet with, uh, her cousin, uh, one guy wrote, what could be more natural than one expectant mother going to visit another? And, uh, you know, Mary didn't have that dog-eared paged book of, uh, what to expect when you're expecting, right? It wasn't on her shelf there in Nazareth. And so she goes and she talks to her cousin and she just heard from Gabriel. She's six months into this. I got to go talk about the miracle of the Lord and what is happening here. Um, and uh, these these good friends and cousins discussing the pregnancy together. Uh, but we're going to see how that goes down. In verse 41, it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to read of this leaping of baby John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb. We'll read of it twice in this account. But it's just great. We have Luke writing this. The whole point of Luke is just as a physician, he is pointing out that Jesus is not fully and totally God alone. He's also fully and totally man. He, he was fully God, fully man. And, uh, and he writes like a physician would write. He's getting, and even as if he got the details firsthand, maybe in his interviews later on with Mary, with Elizabeth and, uh, and John the Baptist, he hears the greeting and the shout of Mary. And as he hears this, it's almost as if he is just aware of his calling in life to be the forerunner to the Messiah. His calling in life to be the one who prepares the way for his cousin, uh, who is, uh, you know, probably already at this point in the womb of Mary. And uh, kind of a special thing. Anybody ever go through a pregnancy with like their best friend, you know, or their sisters, they're like, you're the same. Everyone's kind of going through this together. We know this among some of our friendships and just, uh, I'm one of my best friends is my cousin Rad and he's two months older than me. And we grew up on the ranch together as kids, but even before we were born, our moms were pregnant together out on the ranch, you know, just doing everything together. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth kind of have a similar thing, uh, going on here. And as Mary would greet Elizabeth cousin John, like I'm, I've been anointed. I'm, if you're prepared for it, Matthew 11, Jesus says he is the, he is Elijah. You know, the spirit and power of Elijah is upon John the Baptist. And the prophet says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's hearts to the father's hearts. And he just leaps in the womb at kind of the, you know, what to expect when you're expecting to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Am I right? Like, Woo! Like there's this leap, uh, in the language in the Greek speaks of leaping for joy. And so Elizabeth spoke out with a loud voice. Now remember when Elizabeth speaks right now, she's just been filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 41. So she is speaking out of just inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And she speaks out maybe a little loud. No, I'm just kidding. It says with a loud voice, right? And says, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So there's this shout of excitement that actually uh, comes out like a little poem in the language. There's this little poem. And no wonder this is used so often in liturgical prayers from church history. Sometimes, again, we balk at what even, you know, our distant relatives, the Catholics, you know, pray out and think out. And, you know, it's. Yes, there may be abuse in poor doctrine and idolatry, but that doesn't away the, take away the proper use, right, of the language that's used in the scripture of uh, Elizabeth, full of the Holy Spirit, saying, blessed are you among women. And just think about the fruit of your womb. Uh, blessed is Jesus, right? The fruit of your womb. So there's this great poem that comes out. 
bless you and bless your fruit. And then humility in Elizabeth's part. And you just don't get any hint of jealousy from Elizabeth, you know? Have you ever had that, you know, where I've been waiting my whole life to have a baby and, and, to, or to have this blessing or whatever, you know, you could fill in the blank. And I finally get it and there's some attention and they're throwing me baby showers and I'm getting the presents and this is my moment. And then you come along, you know, and just with your virginity and having a baby in your virginity and it's just going to trump the miracle I went through. And like, there's no, there's no drama. With these mamas, you know, um, like they're understanding the big picture of what God is doing in all of this. And she just in humility says, why is it even granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Like I am so humbled that in the course of human history, you guys, this is the most important thing that's ever happened. God coming to earth. And then it's hap- it's like right here in this little Judean mountainside village. Who am I that I would be here to witness such a thing? Um, and the use of the title, my Lord, shows that Elizabeth recognized that Mary's child would be um, the Messiah, uh, the Savior of the world. And then, uh, for indeed, verse 44, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And you guys know how it is when you have that friend that you're so close to or that relative and they come and they're coming to the house and they do that. Hello, we're here. That's the point. My wiener dogs just go off the hook, you know, derailed on the crazy train, you know, and they're It's like, someone put those dogs in another home, right? Um, you know, from the minute I heard, hello, Elizabeth, are you, are you here? Like, like there was a, there was some commotion down here, right? My baby leapt in my belly. So it's the second time we see just the leaping of John, the bee, John, the Baptist, John, the baby leaping for joy. And the literal word is, uh, exultation. So the minute I heard your voice, there was worship happening in my belly. His cousin, who happens to be the last Old Testament prophet, Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, full of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit and power that was upon Elijah the prophet. Boom! Like there was some exaltation going in right here. And there was worship and the baby was adoring God for what's happening. By the way, guys, 58 million babies that have been aborted since the 60s, since Roe v. Wade. And, you know, that's as many, if not more, by this point of our troops that died in Vietnam. You know, these are human beings that God has known since the womb that even have the um, uh, propensity, pretensity, you look it up, to worship God from the belly. And here there's exaltation, uh, there's this incredible jump for joy and knowing that the Savior is coming. And so then we get into what I want to close out with today, uh, Mary's song in hearing this from Elizabeth. And uh, it's been known as the Magnificat, and I know that in other languages it sounds much more beautiful than when I say it. But uh, those who grew up in the Catholic Mass or in the Anglican Church, you might have uh, spoken or sung this Song of Mary time and time uh, again. Uh, They're going to be singing it tonight in the evening service. And it's one for me that I just uh, miss out on and don't think of too much. And I have been the one that is kind of knee-jerk, kind of on the other swing of the pendulum and gotten away from any sort of uh, appreciation of Mary and, uh, and just good to come back. Right. And just have that biblical balance, like what's going on and who is Mary and we don't worship Mary. Um, but man, we do man, bless the memory of Mary, man. What a wonderful thing that the Lord has poured out such favor upon her. And then, um, you know, she was kind of a Chris Tomlin of her day, right? She's going to write, uh, a great worship song that's going to be laid out here. And so, um, it's going to sound a lot like uh, the song of Hannah from 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah knew that she was going to have a baby. It's going to sound a lot like the Psalms. And we'll reference a couple Psalms. What this just shows us is that Mary, as a Hebrew girl, 
um, known as Maria or, or Mara, um, a drop from the ocean, you know, she knew the word of God. She knew her Bible. And so her songs to the Lord are going to be biblical songs and are going to sound a lot like the Bible. And so here is her song, the Magnificat, uh, in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. A little bit of like studying and, 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 uh, history and the critics, you always find this kind of stuff as you're reading. Some critics thought that this isn't Mary. This is Elizabeth's song. Uh, there's great evidence that it is Mary's song. And uh, even in the difference between Elizabeth speaking, whose words are excited and tumultuous, and then Mary's words, which just seems like a Mary here, are calm and measured as she writes out this psalm. And uh, my soul magnifies the Lord, exalts the Lord, glorifies the Lord. It speaks of declaring the greatness of God. Sounds a lot like Psalm 34, 2 and 3. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And so there may be just some inspiration and influence from the psalmist as Mary uh, writes her song here. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit verse 47 has rejoiced in God, my savior, my spirit. So my soul is magnifying. My spirit is cheering, uh, cheering out God, my savior, or in the Greek Theos Soter, right? God of salvation. Um, something to note here in Mary's song is Mary, you don't get the hint at all that she would say, hey guys, good news, I'm also the Savior, and I am going to be the co-redeemer of Jesus. Like, nowhere in the Bible do you see this stuff. But what you do see here is that Mary recognized she needed a what? Savior, right? Mary was a sinner, and apart from a Savior, the wrath of God upon sinners would be upon even Mary. All right. Now, God sovereignly is working in all of this and has called her. Um, she is a, a highly favored one. Just as Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, Mary found grace in the sight of the Lord. And the grace of salvation has come to her. And she calls out God as her Savior. As the psalmist says in 35, 9, my soul will be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Uh, or Habakkuk 3, 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So Mary, no doubt, knew the Psalms, knew Habakkuk, and knew the God of my salvation. Um, I'm, I'm so cheerful in him right now. Verse 48 for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And so just humility in her, recognizing her lowly state. Then this is how God often works. It's in the lives of those who are lowly in status and stature that God comes in and breaks through and begins to do a work of his might, his power, that he could receive the glory. You see it in the men of, of the, the fathers of our faith in the Old Testament, David. He wasn't the big strong brothers, right, that were in the initial meeting with Samuel the prophet. He was the little, you know, the little brother that was out watching the sheep, you know, and, and the Lord just says through Samuel, I don't look at um, the outward appearance. I look at the heart. Go get the little weak brother and bring him in here. And it's the same with everyone who the Lord uses. The weak things of the world. The foolish things of the world, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, the base things of the world. Um, so that he could receive all the glory. Read missionary biographies. This is who the Lord uses in global efforts. Um, read uh, the story of Baruchko or John Patton. These are all guys that are just the weak ones. There usually aren't uh, parades preceding the calling, the moving of the Lord. Sometimes it's in the mundane. But she just says this great phrase here. He has regarded 
the lowly state of his maidservant. My mind went to the hymn, It Is Well. And there's this line in It Is Well, verse 1. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. I think that's where Horatio Spafford got the line for that hymn is from Mary saying, I um, am, am in a helpless uh, a state or a lowly state. He has regarded my helpless state. And then I can't quote it as well without verse two that I love so much. My sin dash my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. So this great phrase here uh, of he's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Goodspeed brings out the meaning with he has noticed his slave in her humble station. He's just noticed me in just a place of humility, humble upbringing, humble place. And he has just been gracious to me in giving me favor. And then this phrase, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. And, you know, what What a thing that we get away from. What? How blessed Mary was uh, to be the mother of the Lord, as Elizabeth puts it. 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Just the Virgin Mary with uh, an immaculate baby inside of her says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Uh, It reminds me of the hymn that I grew up singing at Bible Baptist Church in Klamath Falls. Almost every week we sang, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And this is Mary's story. This is Mary singing it out. This is my story. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. The word mercy occurs five times in this chapter. And Mary tells us that mercy is certain for those who reverence the Lord. You know, you guys know the difference between grace and mercy? Uh, Mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? We deserve God's wrath towards sinners upon us. And so it is God's mercy that we're not getting what we deserve. God's grace is when we get what we don't deserve. And here, um, Mary is just championing and trumpeting the mercy of God five times in this chapter. Mercy, mercy, may the God of mercy just be exalted and shine down upon me. Uh, I was just thinking as we were singing today, there's a song that Johnny sings quite a bit, uh, although I haven't heard it in a while, and it's praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Um, and it just, the verse just says, what? Uh, love is there among us that uh, does not keep record of the wrongs that we have done. He's omniscient, all-knowing, yet he counts not the sum. They're thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So Mary speaks of his mercy and that that mercy will be upon those who fear him. And just prophetic of Mary to speak this out and missional of Mary to speak this out, that it'll be from generation to generation to generations. And those math whizzes out there, why don't you figure out how many generations have gone uh, since the time of Mary, but even those before Mary. And here we are today, you know, 2000 years later, uh, 
reverencing the Lord and experiencing the mercy of God, not getting what we deserve. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And so you can just imagine the next couple of verses, Mary writes what maybe she sees in the culture around her where the Romans have been on the scene, strong in power, strong in might, and just afflicting the Jews. And she's going to write right now of the complete reversal of human values and how God flips societal norms. And so uh, he's shown strength with his arm. And we know that we've already mentioned it from Jeremiah. Isaiah 59, one says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, right? He's got this strong arm. He's got this strong hand. He shows strength with it. And in it, he flips those societal norms in that the proud people, he scatters them in the, all that they dream up in their hearts. One thing that the Lord hates, the psalmist says, are those who devise wicked schemes in their heart. And in the imagination of their heart, man, the Lord scatters them, scatters the proud in the imagination of their heart. King Uzziah, back in Second Chronicles 26, 15, Uzziah made it when it came to military might. But when he got strong as a king in his military might, it goes on, it says in Second Chronicles 26, 15, he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stone. So his spread, fame spread far and wide. So military might. He was the U.S. Army, right? That's us. The best army in the entire world. That was Uzziah. Um, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. And then, you know, Uzziah and his fall. And Mary just writes of that sort of thing, that those that are proud and self-strength, he's just going to scatter them. It goes on to say in 52, he has put down the mighty men from their thrones and exalts the lowly. This is the economy of God. If you're going to be proud, he's going to humble you. If you're going to be humble, he's going to lift you up. It's how the Lord works. And Mary had a handle on that. Verse 53, he had filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So again, the flipping of the societal norm, the hungry, just as Matthew 5, Jesus tells us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And uh, the language is prophetic here, thinking of all that the Messiah would do in helping the servants of Israel. Again, here's mercy again. God will remember mercy towards those that trust in him. 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed uh, forever. And so you don't have to come to Calvary Chapel for very long before we'll be talking about God's mission and heart for the whole world and every tribe, tongue, and nation. It starts back, well, it goes before Abraham, but you see this incredibly miss, missionary promise to Abraham uh, and then to his son Isaac and then to his son Jacob that through their seed, Jesus, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And then we go to Galatians chapter three where we see all who believe Abraham are sons of Abraham. All who believe as Abraham believed are sons of Abraham. And that's why in Sunday school class, we sing father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. And so are you right? Uh, so let's all praise the Lord because we are children of Abraham through faith and uh, closing out the, the chapter here, 56, we can have the worship team come up. Uh, re Mary remained with her about three months. So remember when she went there, she was, Mary, Elizabeth was six months pregnant and then stayed there three months. So nine months pregnant. And we don't know, we don't get the sense that Mary was there when John the Baptist was born, but, uh, then she returned to her home. Uh, as you, uh, keep reading through the gospels, uh, you see a couple of just incredible, uh, things through the Christmas story and the, the, you know, being in the manger and the shepherds coming. Um, you see it in 
the account where Jesus was older, about 12. Remember, he stayed behind in the temple and was just confounding the the elders um, with his knowledge and his wisdom. And he was missing and Mary ran back. And, you know, it's a couple days later, like, you, ha- we were scared to death. Where were you? And Jesus, just like a very mature 12-year-old, just says, hey, you know what? I had to be about my father's business and you should have known that, you know? And there's these times where Mary is just kind of mentioned through some of the limited times that we see her. And in each one of those times, it says, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. And just what kind of a son did I have? You know, what remembering, you know, just, could you imagine just remembering the angel Gabriel, remembering the first time your baby kicked, you know, when, when you were a virgin, right? Uh, just remembering the, the provision of the Lord in the, in the stable, all of these things, Mary pondered them heart, kept these things in her heart all the way to just where we see Mary was just, she would trust the Lord through it all. She would trust the Lord at the Cana of Galilee wedding. Remember when they ran out of wine and Mary just like took it upon herself to go and, and get her son. And it was just this great motherly thing. Like she says, Hey, we're out of wine. And Jesus says, why are you coming to me about this? I'm not ready to get started in my ministry yet. And she just looks at her friends and says, and to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it, you know, and then just leaves them alone. Right. Uh, but then there would be the time when she would be with her sons and want to talk and have some time with Jesus and look for him while he's busy. And what does Jesus say? It's, it's a rough mother's day message. I don't teach it very often. You know, <laughs> who are my mother and my brothers? but he who hears the will of the Lord and obeys it, right? Or what about at the cross when Jesus showed that son's heart and looked out and saw Mary there by herself next to John. And he says, mom, your new son, John, your new mom, take care of her, all right? Or what about the day of the resurrection when Mary was there going to the tomb and that tomb would be empty that day? Think she was still pondering those things in her heart? What about the day of Pentecost when she's one of the only women mentioned in the upper room on the day of Pentecost praying for the Lord uh, to to show up and she was there. Do you think Mary spoke in tongues? I was wondering that this morning, you know, um, just Mary the Pentecostal. You don't hear that a lot in the Catholic church, but anyways. um, And so if you guys will stand with me today, you know, I just had just this song of Mary on my heart today and, uh, there's not a lot of direct application for the moms in the room, you know, in the sense of, you know, it was kind of a big deal that she had God in her womb, right? Um, but there is such application in the sense of all of these big things that come before us that uh, just seem unfathomable and unbelievable. And, and the angel would say to Mary, and we would say to you today, like, hey, the... Think of God's past faithfulness to people that never thought they would see breakthrough in their life. And he came and he broke through. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Mary's response, behold your servant. And that's us today. We just say, and all of you moms, and some of you moms, you've got children, I would just say, that are destined for incredible things. And I, as the more you disciple them and the more you pour into them, you're going to see that coming about and you can ponder those things in your heart. Start discipling your children with the belief that they're destined for the rise and fall of many. God's called them to be ministers, called them to be evangelists, called them to be church leaders. All of these things that are big and huge and wonderful things for the kingdom There's nothing too hard for God. Those of you that have wayward children, there's nothing too hard for God. Start pressing in, start praying for those children. Just as we just move just in an attitude of prayer, I do just think of those who um, have yet to be able to have children. And that's just a heartbreaking thing for you. That's a hard thing for you. That's a struggle Every Mother's Day is just a difficult thing for you. So much of social status and and social events and things that happen circle around just being a mom and 
having children and, and going through those phases in your life and to not have those, it's just hard and rough and heartbreaking. And just the Lord is compassionate to that today and just had on my heart to pray over you today. We see it in the scripture that God is the God who can open up the womb. And I think that there are some who... Um, just have not been able to have children and that's okay for you. And you just think that's just what the Lord has for us. And that's okay. That's, it's a wonderful thing that just frees us up more to serve the Lord. And I'm just, I'm totally fine with that. I think that's a wonderful thing, but there are some that you just still feel that ache in your heart. Maybe even just that the Lord has that for you, but you haven't seen it come to pass And if that's you today, just, I'm going to pray over you right now. And if you want to, you can just lift your hands up in a posture of reception or, or you can just receive just a blessing upon you this mother's day. Lord, I pray for those today as we read of Elizabeth having a baby. We read of Mary having a baby. We reference Hannah Barron being able to have a baby. Lord, we pray for our sisters and brothers in this, in this congregation, just as a family, they haven't had kids and that's the longing of their heart. We just ask for just a miracle, the God of miracles. We ask for a gift of a miracle that you would open up those wombs, Lord, and just bring the child, God. Just bring the child. And we will rejoice, God. And then just also on my heart today, just a prayer. And I hadn't thought of it at all in my week of studying. And just if you'll bear with me, I was coming down here feeling so weak teaching this Mother's Day message. And sometimes when you're weak, all I can do is I just, just in my prayer closet of my pickup today, driving down, began to pray in tongues. And just kind of the Lord moved me to a more emotional place I was choked up today in announcements and just weeping during worship. Just in praying in the spirit today, the Lord put on my heart on this mother's day. There are so many children in our community and in our County And in our state, there are so many children that need a mom. A couple years ago, the Lord moved us as a church to fast and to pray about just that need and called us as a church to be a part of the foster care system to bring Jesus and the gospel into that deep need. And he called us to be those that would adopt. He called us as a church to be a part of those that would provide respite care and encouragement for those that are doing that. And just from that day, Lindsay and I had been trying to adopt for years and through different processes before, but 2021, we set after it again and went through the classes again, had to take the classes all over again. And uh, thought that it was this kid, these kids, four kids. The Lord shut doors, just shut doors. As he had so many times before. And then just kind of when we were just like, here we are, we're wrapping up some home study stuff. But even the state wasn't getting back to us. And, and then the Lord just dropped this beautiful little girl into our home. And just couldn't imagine it going any other way and it might be temporary we don't know but she's just in our home and we're able to just give her the love of a mother and a father right now and i just tell you you get on the website that the state has and there are so many children and Lindsay and i'll just break down and weep and sob there's 17 year olds that are just about to age out and in their in their current state they're just wanting a family as they go into adulthood they don't have a family they want a family 
And I just felt the Lord prompt me today to remind our church true and undefiled religion before God and man is this. It's to care for the orphan and the widow in their time of trouble. So Lord, we would just ask that on this Mother's Day, you would heal the womb of the barren. You would bring those children. We say amen and we would rejoice in that. And today in this church that bears your name, you would open up our hearts to these little ones that need a mom, that need that care. Do a work of your spirit and we will give you the praise. Will you guys close with me in a song?